Welcome to ACC Basketball Report. This is episode number 53. I am a day late, many dollars short. It is about 15 minutes before the Duke-Notre Dame tip. Uh, I want to get this game out. I talked about this game a little bit in today's podcast. I want to hurry up and get this uploaded and get it out to you guys. So I'm on the record as far as what my prediction is. I do want to amend some stuff that I said in this podcast. I talked about Dewan Hernandez and, and the ruling that came down from the NCAA declaring him ineligible for the rest of the season, as well as 40% of the season next year. I just learned after I stopped recording that he is withdrawing from Miami and declaring for the NBA draft immediately. So his his NCAA um, eligibility has, has come to an end. Unfortunately, you know, receiving a hotel room for less than $500 has cost this young man the college experience and about 40, 40 career games at the college basketball level. Um, I went deep into this in the, in the, in the podcast and, you know, made my thoughts known. Uh, some other things that I talked about, we shared the week in review. We talked about a little bit of news and notes. I gave my thoughts uh, pretty heavily on Miami, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. You know, all things that uh, that I talked about today on the podcast this evening. Uh, I talked about tonight's game, Duke-Notre Dame. I gave out the ACCBR Player of the Week. We dropped some embarrassing stories, one that I got from a fan and I provided one of my own. We did the stock watch. I think it was a pretty good show. Runs a little bit longer than I typically run, but uh, we had a good time with it today. So I apologize for making you guys wait an extra day, but in the extra day, we got to see the Miami-Florida State game play out, and we got the Dewan Hernandez news, so I think it was pretty much worth it. I am going to stop wasting your time with another intro that doesn't need to be four minutes long with me just rambling, because I know when I listen to podcasts that I listen to, I hate it when the host rambles on. We just want to get to the meat. So check out slapthesign.com for my Q&A with Ball Durham uh, about the Duke-Notre Dame game for tonight. Check out gtswarm.com for my uh, diary entry of my first game covering college basketball in Cameron Indoor Stadium. I had a great time uh, regardless of the outcome of the game. Check out the power rankings from accbasketballreport.com. Check out articles that Charlie Monolakis and Kinchin are, you know, my newest my newest contributor, Kinchin, uh, is putting out uh, a series called Corner Threes. Um, young guys, first-time writers, these guys do it for love of the game, all right? So it's going to take a while. It's like ACC Basketball Report was when I first started it. Okay, I'm not a writer. You know, you gotta you gotta conform and learn and and just learn as you go. As long as I told these guys, as long as the information's good, I don't give a shit about anything else. So I will edit them as best I can to get it to be where it needs to be. But as long as they're pumping out good information, I stand behind them 100%. Even if their opinions differ from mine, I'm not looking for a bunch of yes men to come work for me. And they don't even work for me. They work for themselves. They just work for the site that I created. And if they want to hang around, cool. We'll, we're, we're taking this thing places. And, hey, we're all in this together. But uh, we're, we're doing our best here at ACC Basketball Report. We're going to make it your destination for ACC Basketball News. Check out the power rankings. It's now a collaborative effort. It's not just me um, having three glasses of bourbon and throwing a list together. We're actually, uh, we're, we got three guys voting on it now. We applied a point system, and we're doing it that way. So accbasketballreport.com for corner threes, the weak primers, Charlie's picks against Ken Palm and against Haslametrics. 
and check out the ACC power rankings every Sunday. We're going to make that a staple of that basketball site, and that saw a ton of traffic this weekend. And look at that. Once again, I'm at four minutes on the intro, just like I said I wasn't going to do. This is episode number 53. Don't forget to like, rate, review, share, leave me comments, leave me emails, send me questions. I'll talk to you guys next week. Welcome to the ACC Basketball Report. This is episode number 53. Diving right into some news and notes. It is about, well, I'll get to that in the intro. News and notes. Uh, Big ruling finally came down today. Uh, I spoke about it with you guys either last week or a couple weeks ago. The NCAA finally released its ruling. Hold on a second. I need myself screaming at myself in the earphones. Mess with my levels here. All right. Um... The NCAA finally released its ruling on the Dewan Hernandez, formerly Dewan Hewell, case today. Uh, it states that he must sit the rest of this season, so he's going to miss the entire season this year, the 2018-19 season, and 40% of next season, which I believe is roughly 10 games. Um, for having an agreement with an agent, that agent being Christian Dawkins, uh, I saw right before I jumped on here, Evan Daniels tweeted it out, and then Jay Billis tweeted it out as well, that the value of the gifts that he received was less than $500, okay? So that is going to basically cost this kid, what, 40, 42 career basketball games for a gift? It was basically, it was a hotel room under $500 is going to cost this kid basically a year and a half of his career, if he so chooses to stay. Now, it's I think it's pretty likely he's going to go pro. He's probably gone. But, uh, you know, he certainly has that kind of that kind of upside, that NBA upside. I thought so coming into the season. I still believe that that's the case. He's probably going to fall. I think somebody's going to get a steal either late in the first <clears throat> or early to, to mid-second round is probably where he's going to go. Uh, coming off of the NCAA's website, uh, this is what the statement says. It says, according to the facts of the case, which were agreed upon by the university, so that means Miami, as I said a few weeks ago, they also found evidence that some kind of transaction took place. Uh, Hernandez agreed to receive monthly payments from an agent and accepted other benefits from the individual, that individual being Christian Dawkins. According to the guidelines adopted by NCAA membership, the starting point for these violations is permanent ineligibility, but the NCAA staff recognized mitigating circumstances based on the specific facts of the case when making its decision. So... I'm not sure exactly what that means other than maybe they couldn't find substantial evidence maybe and maybe the school and Hernandez just kind of wanted this to end. I think that you know the fight was going to cost him the rest of the season anyway and I think this is another signal that he's just going to go pro. Um, I, you know okay I'll set up the rest of the season. Miami is not in a situation where if he were to play and then they were to find evidence, you know, they've got to vacate some wins. They may have, you know, receive some sanctions possibly. So Hernandez says, 
forget it. I'm going to go pro. You guys do your thing. And let's just be done with this. Uh, when a school, this is also coming from the NCAA website. Uh, when a school discovers an NCAA rules violation has occurred, it must declare the student athlete ineligible and may request the student athlete's eligibility to be reinstated. <clears throat> uh, the NCAA staff reviews each student athlete reinstatement's request individually based on its own specific facts. If there is any disagreement on the case facts, it can be appealed to a membership committee. The decision may be appealed to the Division I Student-Athlete Reinstatement Committee, which is comprised of representatives from NCAA schools. Somebody found something. And, you know, uh, assumed guilt, I guess. I don't understand why he's the only one sitting. To my knowledge, in the document that names him, there was three other student-athletes in that document. So, I am not sure why Dewan Hernandez is special. Okay, I'm not sure why people th seem to think that it was pretty obvious that Zion Williamson was up for being up for the highest bidder, but nothing is coming from it. And again, this isn't me wanting these student athletes to pay with their eligibility when I bring up guys like Zion Williamson, VJ King, um, Javon Quinterly. I don't care, really. I just want some semblance of consistency among the NCAA. You know, uh, North Carolina commits egregious acts of, of educational and institutional fraud, and they give the NCAA the finger, okay? Uh, Wendell Carter seemingly gets away with benefiting from, you know, not from Duke, but from other assistant coaches, uh, the assistant coaches were then forced to resign. Wendell Carter's fine. He goes to Duke. Dewan Hernandez gets a hotel room, and it costs him 40-plus games of his career. It's absolutely absurd. You know, I, I think I've beaten this to death a little bit. I think you guys kind of know where I stand on the NCAA. And there's Turkey making his appearance, if you guys can hear him. Uh, moving on. You know, screw it. Dewan Hernandez is probably never going to play NCAA basketball again. I hope he succeeds in the pro levels. Makes millions of dollars and... Puts all this nonsense behind him while the NCAA continues to uh, drown out non-blue blood schools by hitting them with absurd penalties for things that really don't matter. While they continue to protect the money-making machines that are the blue blood programs. Justin Robinson, this week, in good news, uh, broke the all-time Virginia Tech assist record. He recorded his 548th career dime uh, in the Hokies' win over Syracuse. He surpassed legendary Hokie Bimbo Coles for the number one spot. You know, Bimbo Coles, a legend in Blacksburg, and I think Justin Robinson surpassing him shows you just how great Justin Robinson has been and maybe how underappreciated he's been throughout his career. And I think, uh, you know, he's, he's deserving. He's been the, the, the steady hand on that program since Buzz Williams has been in Blacksburg and <clears throat> what they're going to do without him next year I think you know Wabisa Beatty is very good defensively you know ball hawk type defender but he needs to learn how to play some offense I think in order for them to maintain the level of of competitiveness that Virginia Tech's become accustomed to when Robinson ultimately moves on after the season uh, Brandon Alston continues to sit for Georgia Tech uh, he is with the team. I saw him and Cameron warming up with the team. He dressed for the game. It is been said that he's going through some kind of personal matter. And, you know, I've been, I, I've been told 
what that personal matter is. I have no inclination of of revealing that matter in a public forum. It is, you know, just a situation that's that's hard on a young person. Well, I'll, you know, I'll just say that. And hey, take as much time as you need. It, it is the way I see it. It's not a disciplinary issue. It's not an injury related issue. It's just a personal matter with a kid going through a hard time. I think. And whenever Alston decides he wants to come back and he's ready to concentrate on basketball, the the Georgia Tech program will no doubt welcome him with open arms. Uh, Mark L. Johnson also returned from injury this week for NC State. Of course, that uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. What a crazy game uh, Saturday with NC State and Clemson. Uh, speaking of this week's games, I, I was kind of talking on on the Sunday podcast last week about the Boston College Florida State game. You know, BC did end up coming back and getting that win. You know, Kai Bowman thirty seven points, nine rebounds in that game. Absolutely insane. You know, not really a whole lot to talk about other than Florida State had that game early, and I think they were up by 14, 16 points, something like that, and BC came back and ultimately got that win, you know, continuing Florida State's slow start in conference play. Uh, Moving on to Monday night, Virginia Tech 82 at UNC 103. You know, everyone eats Bojangles that night as the Tar Heels hit triple digits. Uh, Virginia Tech, you know, is still showing that they may be a tier unto themselves uh, you know i think you got the i think you got the top three I, I i still think unc is in that tier with virginia and duke i i just you can't it, it's going to come together for north carolina i know you guys have heard me say it all season long it, it, it's going to happen and virginia tech this year is a team that is slowing it down they play efficient offensively they're decent defensively not great by any means you know, UNC hangs 103 on them. Um, you know, Virginia Tech burns through everybody not named Virginia and North Carolina right now. You know, they got the other loss to Penn State. I think that was an anomaly. Penn State is terrible, I think is the best word. And that's, I, I it happens to everybody, okay? Um, <clears throat> it, it just does. You, you get a bad game early in the non-con. It happens. Uh, we're going to find out exactly what Virginia Tech is made of, but we have to wait until late February, unfortunately. They uh, they don't get Duke until very late in the ACC season. But, you know, right now they own losses to Virginia by 22 and now Carolina by 21. Virginia Tech looks like the cream of, you know, the bottom 12 of the ACC right now. I think I don't really think that's debatable. In this particular game, Kobe White continues to impress. 22 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. I think there's some people out there that they're they're wanting Kobe White to be Joel Berry. They're wanting Kobe White to be Ed Cota. They're wanting Kobe White to be Ty Lawson. He's not that type of player. I, I think we need to appreciate the type of player that he is uh, apart from those guys. Now, does the, the UNC offense run as efficiently as maybe it has in years past? No. Is he great defensively? Eh, not really. Freshmen don't play defense, you know, outside of Durham anyway. But uh, <clears throat> you have to you have to watch the way he plays, the speed at which he plays at, his ability to make bad shots, if that's a good th- I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but he can take bad shots and make them. Um, and Roy seems to be okay with it because they're going in. But if if this kid gets a step on you, he is deadly in the mid-range. 
and I just I love to watch him. He's one of my favorite players to watch play this year. Uh, Kerry Blackshear did hold his own in this game uh, against the you know a very talented UNC front court. He had 19 and 17 with five assists. Maybe one of the best games I've watched Kerry play. Certainly this year, I think, where he's kind of been, you know, peaks and valleys. It was nice to see him go up against the big front court and have some success. I think he played 28 minutes in this game. You know, the Hokies actually did really play well in this game. UNC just played a little bit better. Carolina shoots 53%, and they hit 16 triples. Nasir Little with a career-high 23 points in just 20 minutes, showing that, you know, he doesn't need... He He's become like the hybrid player off the bench, and they have a couple of them. Leaky Black is also that kind of player. Now, Black doesn't play many minutes at all, but he plays winning basketball when he's in this game, and I think what you're seeing is Nasir Little is starting to put it together a little bit. He played well in the second half of a game last week. He had 23 points this week. They're going to, you know, you're going to see... It's interesting. It's going to be an interesting matchup tomorrow night when he goes to Atlanta. And when, when North Carolina as a whole goes to Atlanta, you want to talk about just a difference in athleticism and, and scheme and shooting ability. But Georgia Tech plays defense, and Georgia Tech really plays defense at home. And just a couple of years ago, Georgia Tech beat North Carolina, who was a top... Were they number one in the country at the time? They were top five anyway. But North, you know, G-Tech beat them. A couple years ago, in passing his first year in Atlanta, when UNC was a top five team, so keep an eye on that. <clears throat> Nasir Little starting to come around. I think UNC starting to put it together after that embarrassing loss to Louisville. I am still on that wagon. Uh, also from Monday, Notre Dame goes to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech wins 63-61. Again, the Jackets continue to play really good defense, especially at home. You know, it's the offensive struggles that are that are giving them, you know, nightmares. James Banks, John Mooney live up to that big man matchup billing. Mooney with 22 and 14. Banks counters with 16 and 10. But Georgia Tech gets the win, so we'll call it uh we'll call it a win for Banks. Uh, you know, Notre Dame, again, just they just can't shoot the ball. They go 7 for 30 from deep, and they're now 250th in the country in three-point percentage. They just they can't get any kind of consistency going from outside. Uh, you know, uh, GTEC, four players in double figures, which is pretty crazy for, for this Josh Passner-led program at, at this particular time. You know, in a game where Curtis Haywood struggles, Khalid Moore comes off the bench, picks him up seven points, you know, kind of gives him that fifth score. Tech shot nearly 50% from the field, which is which is extraordinary for, for this Georgia Tech program at this particular time. You know, they, they tried to give it away a little bit. I think they was up seven or eight with a couple minutes to go. Notre Dame comes back. Lashevsky's hitting threes. But, uh, you know, I've said it for the last couple weeks, Notre Dame, just they're too young, too inexperienced, they're injury riddled, and they just they just don't know how to win games yet. And, uh, you know, if you saw, well, we'll get to the, we'll get to the power rankings in a minute. But Notre Dame, I'm off. I, I'm sold. They're not. It's not going to turn around this year. It's simply just too much going on in the negative side of that team. Uh, Duke 79 at Pittsburgh 64. You know, Pitt hung tough for a little bit in this game. Uh, you know, one second it was 17-16, though, and then all of a sudden Duke's up 19 at the half, and that's that's what they can do to you. Uh, Duke put the clamps on them. Uh, you know, they kind of did what Syracuse did. They didn't zone Pitt, but they forced them to shoot jumpers, and when Pitt doesn't, you know, hit their jumpers, they don't have the inside presence to go get an easy bucket. Um, 
you just you don't have a guy like Elijah Thomas or Kerry Blackshear or even James Banks that you can dump it into and get a decent shot from a couple feet away. And without that presence, you just have to keep trying to work the ball and getting open looks. And with the athleticism that Duke has on the wings and especially, you know, in in the backcourt in general, if, you know, Pitt's a small team, you know, maybe Miami might be the only team that's smaller in the ACC. And if that jump shot's not falling, even at home, you know, it's just it's just going to be a long night. Williamson and Barrett combined for 51 points in this game. Pitt shoots three of 15 from deep. That's that's the ball game. If if Pitt were to beat Duke at home, they would have had to shoot tremendously from deep, and that's just not what they got. You know, Jared Wilson frame didn't really show up. Trey McGowan's I believe fouled out, but he had a pretty decent night. And uh, you know, for this Pitt team, it just it just wasn't in the cards. They sit at two and five right now. I, I think they still looked. Way better than they did last year, but they still need an influx of talent to go with that that young backcourt, and they need they need some help in the front court. Uh, Wake forty five at Virginia sixty eight. No, thank you. I did not have any interest in watching this game. Virginia has five guys in double figures, holds Wake to thirty one percent from the field and six of twenty four from deep. Cool. I don't need to see it. the best team in the league against by far the worst team in the league. Um, you didn't need to watch it to know how it was going to turn out. Now. I, I kept tabs on it and say wakes up by 10 at half. Okay, you have my attention. I'll turn it on. Otherwise, I don't need to watch that shit. Uh, Clemson 68 at Florida State 77. Florida State was down by six. I thought Clemson looked pretty good in the first half. Um, certainly not world beaters, but Florida State comes out, outscores them by a ton in the second. I think Clemson put up mid 20s in the second half, something like that. Uh, gets their second ACC victory. Fee Cabangeli continues to be excellent off the Seminole bench. 17 points, 5 rebounds. David Nichols comes off the bench with 16 points in probably his best game for the Seminoles this year. Um, he's the transfer point guard from Albany. Averaged about 17 points a game last year in the America East. Uh, Clemson struggles from deep. And, 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 you know, Shelton Mitchell just, he continues to be just awful. Uh, him and Reed combined and go 7 for 23. The Tigers, the, you know, Clemson Tigers currently dead last in the ACC in offensive efficiency during conference play. How that happens with some of these players, I mean, Shelton Mitchell and Marco Reed, I thought was going to make up one of the best backcourts in the league, and that's just simply not how it's, how it's hashed out. Uh, FSU, on the other hand, their metrics don't really support their record. Okay, they're, they're playing better than their record would suggest. They're middle of the pack in almost everything across the board. This team's going to figure it out and turn it around. I'm going to talk about them here a little bit more in a minute. Uh, NC State 77 at Louisville 84. Markel Johnson did not play in this game. That is obviously the biggest storyline. You know, <laughs> this is interesting. North Carolina shoots 46%. They make 12 threes. They're plus 12 on the glass. Jordan Orr goes 3 for 12 and 0 for 7 from deep. And NC State loses. How in the hell does that happen? Well... Christian Cunningham has a fantastic game. Dwayne Sutton has a very good game. And North Carolina State turns it over 23 times. Okay? There's the Markel Johnson factor right there. He's just simply one of the best point guards in the league. And when he's not in that game, Braxton Beverly is serviceable. Uh, Blake Harris is serviceable, but I think he only played one minute in this game. Eric Lockett, eh. You know... Markel Johnson is a huge factor. Not only for NC State, but how the league as a whole turns out. And, you know, regardless of how Wara played, Louisville has seven guys with nine or more points, and they go to the line 29 times. That's that's your game right there. 
this Louisville team plays hard. They're deep. They've completely bought into what Chris Mack is selling. And you're seeing it. Their star can have a bad game and they can still win. You know, granted it was at home at the Yum Center, but hey, NC State's a good team without even without their best player. Johnson is is very good and obviously a huge factor. NC State has some talent without him for sure. They're capable of winning games on the road with what they have. Uh, you know, Torn Dorn, Devin Daniels, them guys are very good players. C.J. Bryce has, has really turned it on lately. But this Louisville team is just playing at a super high level right now. And, I, you know, not one of the most surprising teams in the ACC, but possibly one of the most surprising teams in the country. So I think you're going to start seeing them climb up this top 25. And their presence and the way they're playing, I think, certainly solidifies the ACC as, if, if top-heavy, the most talented league in, in the country right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Uh, going to Thursday night's game. Oh, that was a Thursday night game. Uh, also Thursday night, Miami 53 at Syracuse 73. You know, Syracuse did to Miami what they just did to Pitt. They pack it in, make them shoot jump shots. And it may be a bit uh, shakier of a of a game plan against Miami than it is a Pitt when you have guys like Zach Johnson and Chris Lakes and, and uh, Anthony Lawrence and Vasilovich. But it worked in this game. <laughs> okay. Miami's going through a really rough stretch right now, and they simply don't have the horses to compete on the ACC level, on the road, against a team like Syracuse that is long and athletic and just going to pack it in and let you shoot from threes. It's just, you know, Laranega is a hell of a coach, but, the, the, you know, this situation for him just seems insurmountable. And, you know, they're just going to have to ride it out, unfortunately. They got some bad news today regarding Hernandez. So... <clears throat> You know, Miami is going to end up in the bottom of the ACC with Wake Forest, somewhere down in there. Uh, moving into Saturday's games, Georgia Tech 53 at Duke 66. This, I actually attended this game. Um, I got credentialed for the first time in my life, and my first uh, mem- first game as a m- member of the media was at Cameron Indoor Stadium. It was really cool. Uh, if you go to my Twitter feed, at Picone36, you will see that I tweeted out a story that I wrote for GT Swarm today that kind of illustrates my day that I... Uh, that I had to go to Durham and, and check out a game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, I'm thankful for for the guys at GT Swarm that got me credentialed, and it was just it was a really fun day. I'm I'm really glad it happened, even though the results weren't ideal. Uh, Zion Williamson, 22 and seven. Trey Jones was incredible defensively. Um, James Banks was in foul trouble the entire game, and you know that's that's basically what it is. Uh, both Banks and Gay foul out, which you know, really cripples um, Georgia Tech in the front court. I thought Evan Cole played really well. Duke shoots 2 of 21. They make 1-3 in each half, and they still win the game. Uh, Georgia Tech led at the half, and they were actually up 38-31 at one point, and then the wheels just kind of came off. There was about a four-minute uh, stretch where, you know, tr- they, they Duke threw a full-court press at them, which it's kind of started out as token pressure, but then Trey Jones just kind of ratcheted it up. There was an instance where Michael DeVoe fell. Uh, they got a, Duke got a fast break. Uh, Jones gets a steal behind the back pass to Barrett. You guys all saw it on Sports Center. Cameron goes ballistic, and you know, go read the story. the The story at GT Swarm is pretty funny. So, um, 
Jose Alvarado, nice game as far as doing everything, filling the stats. But in order for Georgia Tech to be successful, he needs to score the ball. And he only had seven points in this game. Uh, Zion Barrett-Jones orchestrated a nice run, like I said, about halfway through the second. It was about a 15 nothing run, I believe. Uh, G-Tech was up 38-31, like I said. And then I think it was it got to about 46-38 before uh, G-Tech finally came out of it. You know... The, the, the behind-the-back pass was just, it, it was a highlight reel pass. You know, Teddy Valentine, co- uh, reffing a game in Cameron, he, he's taunting uh, Passner. There was in, an ex- inexplicable goaltending call on Zion that didn't get called, and not only did it not get called, they counted the hoop, and they gave him the and one. He missed the free throw, but again, G-Tech's in foul trouble in the front court. What the hell? Um, you know, Passner's pleading his case that it's goaltending, and Teddy Valentine's standing at half court with his arms crossed, staring him down. You know, being a complete fucking professional. He's just, it, it, he's so bogus. I don't know why the ACC continues to employ him. He's an embarrassment. He should be thrown out of college basketball or made to do Atlantic Sun games, somewhere where he's not going to be on national TV, because that's what he's doing. He's making a spectacle of himself, making sure that everybody knows he's there. Teddy, we know you're there based on just your calls in general, okay? You're garbage. Uh, Staying with Saturday's game, Virginia 82 at Notre Dame 55. Cavaliers continue to roll undeterred by the loss to Duke. You know, Notre Dame simply can't overcome the injuries and experience and shooting woes. Dane Goodwin finally replaces Prentice Hub in the starting lineup. I figured that would happen eventually. Hub still played 35 minutes in this game, so he's still getting his time. Once again, Notre Dame, they shoot 8 of 29 from 3. It just can't get it done. Uh, Virginia only turns the ball over twice in the game. Starts the game on a 12-0 run, led by 17.5 at the half. They didn't lead by 17.5. That's not possible. They led by 17 at the half, and that's that's pretty much your ball game. Uh, Notre Dame doesn't have the horses to get back into a game like that. And they certainly don't have the experience, and they can't win close games. It's difficult for them to orchestrate uh, a comeback with deep deficits like that. They just don't shoot well enough, and they don't have the experience to know how to manage a game when they're getting their asses kicked like that. Uh, you know, I, I did a Q&A with Ball Durham, which is a fan-sided uh publication i guess would be the best word to say that and we talked about you know where where notre dame is and 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 how they're coming along i think they're going to be a very good team next year but this year it's just not in the cards uh virginia tech 78 at syracuse 56 Uh, you know again vpi continues their dominance of teams not named virginia unc and i don't know what to think of syracuse at this point justin robinson 35 points eight assists in this game this is the game that he broke the record he hits nine threes in this game Syracuse goes 9 for 28 from deep, 7 of 14 from the line. You know, Virginia Tech continues to be, you know, simply efficient on offense, unlike in years past. The Hokies currently rank second in the conference in offensive efficiency and first in effective field goal percentage. They also rank number one in the ACC in free throw percentage and their top four in turnover percentage at under 17%. They just run good offense now. And I think it's an ode to, to Buzz Williams about how he has how he continues to morph and mutate his his scheme and his his style to the players that he has. I, I, I picked Buzz Williams as the ACC coach of the year before the season, and I think right now he might be behind Mac, but he's right there. It's 1-2 right there, right now. Um, that could change, obviously. You know, somebody could go in the toilet, not a big, not a huge 
surprise if that happens. But uh, Virginia Tech is just really good at beating decent teams. They haven't beat the cream, but they're really good at beating the decent teams. And, you know, I mean, on the road at Syracuse, they beat them by 22. That's an ass-whooping at the Carrier Dome against a team that is really good on defense and Virginia Tech has a reputation of disappearing in big games like that, and it simply did not happen in this game. And I think we got to start thinking, you know, in the, in the power rankings last week, we all, me, Charlie, and Kinchin all ranked Louisville ahead of Virginia Tech. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, right now, yeah, I think high end, though I think Virginia Tech has more upside, but right now Louisville's probably a better team. It's, uh, I know I'm contradicting myself right now saying that Virginia Tech was in a tier of their own, but uh, it's interesting, those two teams. I'm, I'm really interested in seeing those two teams play each other. Uh, Clemson 67 at North Carolina State 69. This game was fucking crazy. I was driving home <clears throat> from the Duke-Georgia Tech game and kind of turned this on the radio, <clears throat> and I immediately stopped at the tavern up the road, went inside and grabbed a beer. And there was a minute left in the game. I think Clemson was up five, somewhere around there. But they get down to about 14 seconds. Marquise Reed goes 0 for 4 from the line in the last 14 seconds. NC State does a beautiful job extending the game, fouling, managing the clock. Um, you know, got to give credit to uh, Kevin Keats on that. Braxton Beverly comes down after Reed goes 0 for 2 again with just a few seconds left. Uh, they come down. Braxton Beverly kind of fades out. I can't remember who gave him the pass. I want to say it was C.J. Bryce, but I'm not absolutely sure. Uh, Beverly's probably five feet behind the three-point line. Drills a triple at the buzzer. NC State wins by two, um, furthering the agony of the that is the 2018-19 Clemson basketball season. Uh, they fall to 1-5 and five in ACC play. For the game, they go 0-7 for 7 from 3, which isn't enough volume and certainly isn't enough makes. State improves to 4-3 and three in the game. Markel Johnson did play in this game. Right now, this is interesting. Marquise Reed, in his last two games, averaging 16 points and 7 rebounds. That's since the 30-point game against Georgia Tech. Not bad. That, that's, that's pretty good. But in those two games, he's shooting 32% from the field. His efficiency has just gone off the off the the deep end, off the diving board, in the pool, sank to the bottom, sucked up by the filter, and it's sitting in the trash pipe below. I I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know if he's frustrated with how his teammates just aren't producing around him, or maybe he's starting to press a little bit, thinking that he has to perform at a higher level because these guys just aren't getting it done. Um, as an example, in ACC play this year, Shelton Mitchell is averaging about thirty one minutes a game. It's about thirty point eight minutes per game. And he's given the Tigers 6.3 points and 3.2 assists per game. This is a guy that averaged, that was easy, it was money in the bank for double figures most of his career in Clemson. And, you know, he's shooting 26.9% from the field. And in ACC play this year, he's shooting 10.5% in ACC play this year. Six games. He's way better than that. He's got to be better than that for Clemson to be. You know, I, I I give Brad Brownell a lot of shit on this on this podcast. Shelton Mitchell just needs to be better. Okay, I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if his girl left him. I, I, I don't know what's going on, but he's a way better player than what he's showing right now. And if Clemson's going to turn this thing around, he needs to he needs to get his shit together. And you know, 
right now, I think you have to think that the ACC is an eight-bid league because Clemson at one and five does not look like an NCAA tournament team. Uh, there's no way that you can justify that. I, I just right now it's eight teams. Clemson's out right now. Has to be, and if they're the only team I think out there that has an opportunity to be the ninth team in the ACC. Wake Forest, Boston College, Miami, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Notre Dame. Those guys ain't going to get it. It's got to be Clemson if the ACC is going to get a ninth team. Uh, Markel Johnson, as a side note, did play in this game. 23 minutes, 16 points off the bench. So he is certainly not hampered by that back injury on that particular day. Hold on one second. God, I love the water. Uh, Pittsburgh 51 at Louisville 66. Uh, Louisville avenges their only ACC loss in the season, improves to 6-1 in the league. You know, Pitt shoots 35%, 50% from the line, and has twice as many turnovers as assists. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't get more complicated than that. I think they had 8 assists in this game, 17 turnovers, something like that. Um, Louisville at home, very good. Pittsburgh, the people may be starting to figure them out. You know what I mean? Like, you know how you get a rookie pitcher? In, uh, in baseball, or a rookie hitter, even better. You get a rookie hitter. He comes in, he hits 10 home runs in April, okay? Looking like an MVP candidate. What happens next? The scouting report comes out, okay? Can't, can't hit the high inside fastball, but he can't lay off it. Loves, you know, say he's, uh, say he's a right-handed hitter, can't lay off the slider from a right-handed pitcher. Just can't lay off it. Okay, that's, that's what's going on right now in Pittsburgh. These teams know that they can sit back. If you sit back, make them shoot free throw, uh, shoot jump shots, if they're not on, there's nothing they can do. There's no recourse. They have nobody to post up. Okay, Kenny Chukwuka is a hustle player. Terrell Brown, he, he's coming along, but he's not there offensively. Uh, Audis Tony, he's not posting up. You know, he's not posting up Stephen Enoch. He's not posting up Malik Williams. So <clears throat> the jump shots have to fall for Pitt, and when they don't fall, Pitt loses. It's really that simple. Stephen Enoch with a double-double off the bench. Jordan Ora kind of rebounds and goes uh, for 17. Enoch with 12 and 11 off the bench. He's just been a monster for Louisville after being nothing, really, uh, of uh, of concern for opponents while he was in stores. It's... You know, he always had that uh, that reputation as, as playing well in the FIBA circuit, playing well in international contests, and just never showed it when he was at UConn. He's showing it this year, and he's been he's been a tremendous find and a tremendous player for Chris Mack. Uh, Boston College 65 at Wake Forest 61, battle for the ball, and I called it last week, said this is going to be a good game, uh, tied with two minutes to go. Uh, Wake can't make threes. <laughs> Wake can't make big shots. Brandon Childress is great from three when they're down by 15. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, I said last week, Nick Popovich, overachiever. Um, what happened? He went to work. 22-11 uh, and 11 in the game. He didn't shut down Jalen Horde, but he matched his, uh, matched his, his production. Uh, the only problem was Wake didn't have anybody else that showed up that game. Uh, it's really... That, that's what happened. And Boston College gets a win that they should win. And I, I said that about Jim Christian on the ACC Weekly Podcast. I like Jim Christian as a coach. This week he goes 2-0. Got the win Sunday. Got the win Saturday. They have a game in between. Let me check. 
They must have. They didn't. They play a Thursday night game. Nope. Yeah. So you know they get a couple wins this week in in the conference in league play. So good for them. Jim Christian is a coach that I like. I think he's he's good for the Boston College program because I don't think that they can attract anybody better. So we'll see how that rolls out. Certainly up for you know he's one of the coaches on the hot seat. He needs to perform. <clears throat> Moving into yesterday's game I, again, you know day late, many dollars short, but uh, you know I've I, I've noticed that. Sometimes waiting till Monday is great because you get the story that you're that you're waiting on, and the Dewan Hernandez was you know part of why I wanted to wait, but this game was more of why I wanted to wait. Florida State seventy eight at Miami sixty six. Uh, easy game to predict. I, I thought that Florida State would would destroy Miami on the boards worse than they actually did. I think the difference was actually eight in Florida State's favor. Miami again just doesn't have the horses, and Trent Forrest is built to give Chris Likes nightmares. And, you know, Likes doesn't score a field goal. MJ Walker hits six triples. That's really all there was to it. I thought Sam Wardenberg played well. He had 10 points early. But, you know, as somebody said on Twitter last night, if Sam Wardenberg is your best player, you've got some problems. And I, I absolutely agree with that. Be nice if he was a bit player. But, you know, he didn't really get a whole lot from anybody else. Zach Johnson had a pretty good game. Miami just can't win if Likes doesn't score 20. I think he had one point last night. Um, they're now two and eight in games when he scores less than 20 points. And they even lost a game this year when he scored 28. That was against NC state. So, you know, Miami just, they just don't have ACC depth and ACC talent in the front court. They have nice players. It would be a, uh, it would be a huge, it would be a huge difference if Dewan Hernandez was, was on this team. Okay. It, I, shit. It might even be a, a pretty good difference if Dengak was on this team because Ibuka Zunda was in foul trouble early. He had two fouls early. I think he, I think he managed around it the rest of the game. But the biggest win here in this game was that Zach Johnson looked to have rolled his ankle going up for a rebound. He come down on a, on a opponent's foot. Looked like, and he leaves. When he leaves, it's thirty to twenty-seven. Okay, this is still a ball game. Chris likes it. Obviously, struggled to this point, but they're within three. They're within striking distance at home against Florida State, a team that has been underachieving, obviously. And he comes back, which is great news for Miami. But by then, the the and shortly after he returns, FSU has blown it up to forty-five twenty-eight, and they go into the half down 17. It just it got out of hand very quickly. It got out of hand really close to how it got out of hand in Pittsburgh this week against Duke. It was 17-16 Duke with the lead and all of a sudden they're up by 15 at the half or whatever it was, 17 at the half. So it, it it's just hard in this league when you don't have the depth or the talent in the front court to compete with some of these teams that seem to have endless amounts of depth. You know, teams like Florida State go 10 deep. Uh, Notre Dame, to start the season, went 10 deep. They're going to go 10 deep next year. Uh, Virginia Tech is deep. They go 8 deep. And they should be going 10 deep. Chris Clark and Landers Nolly, not on that team. Uh, Syracuse, I think, is deeper than Bayheim typically enjoys. But they are deep. They can throw some bodies at you. Uh, in this particular game, Fee Cabangeli, who... Um, who, who would have known? It's it's becoming pretty consistent. Uh, 17.6 rebounds off the bench. Six man of the year. No contest. No doubt about it. And for the coming 10 days, you will not be able to convince me otherwise. He's been Florida State's best player. 
Uh, for tonight's game, Duke at Notre Dame, what am I expecting? That game is going to be on in about 37 minutes, so I want to get this done, get this on the record, and get this podcast out to you tonight. Duke at North Carolina, uh, Duke at Notre Dame. Uh, right now, Notre Dame, currently 11th in offensive efficiency in the ACC and 12th in defensive efficiency while also being dead last in causing turnovers for their opponents. They're very good at protecting the ball, but they do not force turnovers. They do not for, uh, uh, force live ball turnovers where they can get out and get easy baskets for guys like Dane Goodwin, DJ Harvey, Temple Gibbs, Prentice Hub. They don't get those guys out in the open court for easy baskets. Trey Jones is going to make Prentice life's a living hell tonight from about 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, I'm going to take Duke by about 15. And I think Cam Reddish is due for a big night. He's been pretty absent since that big shot he hit against Florida State in Tallahassee. He's due. Uh, Zion and Barrett have been carrying this team the last few games. Cam Reddish is going to show up tonight in a big way. Look for him to uh, be a substantial factor. In, in the result of this this particular game, I'll take Duke by 15 plus. ACC BR Player of the Week. You guys have heard me talk about him quite a bit so far in this episode. I'm gonna go with Fee Cabin Gelly. Um, and and it's not it's not gaudy numbers. Okay, if I was if I was looking for numbers, I'd put I'd do Zion again, RJ Barrett again. RJ Barrett's turning the ball over a little bit too much. I think he averaged about six turnovers a game this week, five maybe something like that. <clears throat> Right now, Cabin Gelly is leading the Florida State turnaround, and they are turning it around. Um, he's simply been the constant guy for, for the seminal team that has has needed somebody to step up. You would expect Terrence Mann to be that guy. You would expect Phil Kofer to be that guy. Kofer is still dealing with that lingering foot injury. I think he only played, what was it, 19 minutes the other night? <clears throat> Uh, in, in the game last night. So he's still dealing with some stuff. In his absence, Cabin Gelly has become their go-to player. Now, if he could stay out of foul trouble, and they'd be a lot better off. He's, he's still getting about 24 minutes a game. But, uh, you know, they go 2-0 this week. He goes for 17 points, 5.5 rebounds. As I said, only 24 minutes per game. 63% from the field, 89% from the line. He's the player that they need. He's the guy that stepped up. He's the leader on that team right now. And he's doing it all. I mean, he's hitting threes. He's going to the line. He's making everything. He's playing defense. He's getting rebounds. He's been a monster for Florida State for about the last week and a half. Uh, Florida State now three and four in the ACC, still ranked 29th in Ken Palm. And I think they're you know they're right in the thick of things here with G Tech, Syracuse, Louisville, and Wake being their next four games. I would not be shocked to see them be six and five here in a couple weeks. Ah, let's see. Ah, new segment. I almost forgot about this today. So what I did was, on Twitter the other day, I put out that I want to do a segment. I want to do embarrassing things that you guys were glad nobody was watching during games. And, you know, it's funny that the, the two stories that I have for today, there was all kinds of people watching. But, for instance, I brought up earlier a couple years ago the Georgia Tech-North Carolina game. For that game... I was standing up in my living room, you know, a foot away from my 65-inch, screaming like a banshee. My dog, Tucker at the time, who's no longer with us, um, got up off the couch and gave me a, a look like, what in the fuck is wrong with you? And just went up to the room above the garage where I've got a couch and a couple TVs, called the doghouse because that's where he used to hang out. And he stayed up there all night long. He, he shunned me that night. And... 
walking back and forth, pacing in my living room like a madman because I just G Tech. That was the year that Rothstein predicted that Georgia Tech would not win a game in the ACC. They ended up twenty-one and fifteen and going to the NIT championship game, losing to TCU in the championship. So. I've got a story, and then uh, I've got a submission from a guy named Jeff uh, at J Soul Haddon on Twitter. <clears throat> uh, 1998, I was an undergrad student at uh, University of Virginia. We had a really crappy team. We beat an unranked. Uh, we beat an unranked North Carolina State team at home by three in January, and I was pretty confident it was going to be our only home ACC win. As time expired, I stormed the court, excited for the win. I got to midcourt when I realized that I was the only one who had rushed the court. I sheepishly walked back to the stands, <laughs> thankful that no one noticed other than the guys that I was sitting with next to me. That is the thing that nightmares are made of, my friends. Because not only was nobody watching, guaranteed, Jeffrey, there was thousands of people watching, and somewhere there's a guy telling that story about some idiot that rushed the court in 1998, and he was out there all by himself. I guarantee it. Because if I had been there, I would still be telling that story at the bar. For me, it was 2003, 2004. Um, I am... What was that? 12 years ago. So I'm probably 22, 23. I am accompanying a friend of mine to a, a somewhat reunion of friends, his friends. He went to school at University of Maine, Machias, played basketball there, led the entire country in three-point percentage that year or one of those previous years. Um, I'm at a party with girls and and people that I don't know, girls that are three, four times older, or three, four times, three, four years older than me, because uh, that would be in about Tony's age group, where <clears throat> I don't know any of them. I'm 22. I'm young, immature. I'm half drunk. Well, probably fully drunk. And these girls are just sophisticated. When you're 22, people that are 26 are, they just, that's the way they are. And especially when they're females, they just look down upon you because you're a fucking idiot, more than likely. But on the television, we're having this giant party in, uh, I believe, Southwest Harbor, somewhere along those lines. And on the TV is the national semifinal game. This is the Georgia Tech. This is the year that Georgia Tech went to the championship game, lost to UConn. This particular night, they were playing Oklahoma State. And this is the Will Bynum shot. I'm sitting on the couch. There's one other guy paying attention to the game. There is... Probably 15 to 20 other people partying behind us, playing cards, playing drinking games, flip cup, or whatever. Again, I know about three people there. One of them being one of my oldest friends. And Will Bonham drives the lane, gets by, I believe, John Lucas the third, lays it in at the buzzer. G-Tech wins the game. I stand up and just scream, yes! I'm a Georgia Tech fan in southeast Maine. Nobody cares. Nobody at this party cares. Nobody at this party knows me. All they know is that some idiot just stood up and yelled yes at a basketball game when there are 25, 26-year-old co-eds that are getting drunk looking to get laid and all I cared about this stupid basketball game. And I went out on the porch and disappeared for probably an hour and just smoked many cigarettes and just removed myself from the situation. But that was one of the more embarrassing situations where I've been in the crowd. So Jeff, I feel your pain. I didn't do that in front of thousands of people. It was only in front of 15 or 20 people that I have never seen since with the exception of my buddy, Tony, but, uh, I feel your pain on that. <clears throat> so, uh, get those, any more stories you guys want me to read on the air for embarrassing moments. I'm a self-deprecating fool. You guys can laugh at me all day. I have no problem with it. And, 
as time goes on, I'm sure I'll share more stories with you and let you get a little bit in on how I'm kind of a damn fool sometimes, especially in my younger years. But accbasketballreport at gmail.com. Send them in. I'll read them on the air, and uh, we'll have some fun with that. Stockwatch. Uh, who am I buying? What am I buying? I'm going to stay on this train. I'm going to buy Fee Cabin Gelly for sixth man of the year. And like I said before, I'm not, I'm not sure it's really close. Hold on. Um, guy's just simply been outstanding. I, I think he's a shoe-in right now. I think he's by far a leader in the clubhouse. He's been FSU's best player. It just so happens that he's their sixth man as well. If he could stay out of foul trouble, he'd likely start and likely be their best player. But right now I think he's averaged about six and a half fouls per 40. So if you can get 16, 17 points out of him in 24 minutes, sure, why not? Take it. Keep him fresh. He'll be awesome in the tournament. And that, that's an easy buy for me. I don't maybe a cop out, but I, I think that's what it is. Uh, sell. I got to sell Clemson. And this is the second time I sold Clemson in three weeks. Last time I sold Clemson, Marquise Reed came out, scored 30. They beat Georgia Tech in Little John for like the 15th straight year. But at one in five, and after that loss, that's got to be a demoralizing loss against NC State from Saturday. Uh, the way Shelton Mitchell's playing, they just this team just doesn't have it. And, and, and what happened, guys? What did I say? Okay, you're gonna sign Brad Brown. You, you guys can't be mad at me when I when I get things right. Okay, you're gonna sign Brad Brown out ten extension because he got to the Sweet Sixteen last year. The ship is gonna go sideways. Okay, that comment right there, probably along with some comments I made about Athletic Director Dan Radakovich, got me blocked on Twitter by the Clemson Athletic Department. But what's happening? Okay, you're about to lose Eli Thomas. You're about to lose Marquise Reed. You're about to lose Shelton Mitchell. And now Brad Brownell's got a shiny new contract. He's recruiting decent, but he's not, you know, he didn't close Trey McGowns. He didn't close Zion Williamson. I don't think either one of those are his fault, looking at where they ended up. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a, a, a very quick fall from grace. The shine on that Sweet 16 run is going to fade very quickly, and I apologize for beating that dead horse, but when I have to say I told you so, I'm going to say I told you so, and I think you guys are going to have to make a decision on a buyout here sooner rather than later. Is it going to be this year? No. Is it going to be next year? Maybe. Maybe. Um, now, Radakovich is not one to pull the rug. He certainly doesn't want to pull the pin on that grenade, but if you guys if you guys are uncomfortable with continuing with Brad Brownell, you're going to have to stand up and force his hand because he will not voluntarily fire that coach. I guarantee it. He will not do it. He's got other interests way outside of basketball. And as long as Brownell is not an embarrassment for the program, which he won't be, Brownell's a good guy. You know, he's a good, he's a solid coach, solid leader of a program. Um, I think he did a great job last year when he had a great roster and did an even better job after Grantham got hurt. I think Clemson was a great team last year. Really fun to watch. The best team that Brownell had since he's been there. But it was, outside from DeVoe, it was built on transfers. He's not getting any transfers right now. And he's getting he's building his program on three-star guys. You're going to return to mediocrity very quickly. And now he's got an extension with probably a very large buyout. It is what it is. I'm sorry I was right. <laughs> I'm not. I love being right. It's one of my my few, well, no, one of my many dislikable, unlikable characteristics. When I'm right, I'm going to tell you about it. When I'm wrong, eh, we can forget about it. All right, what am I holding on? <clears throat> I'm holding on Syracuse. I have no clue what to make of this team. No idea. Uh, you know, they beat Duke, and then they get blown out at home by Virginia Tech. 
You beat Duke on the road, then you lose by 22 at home to Virginia Tech. You lose at home to Georgia Tech. I don't know. I just don't know. You're tied for first in the ACC and you get boat raced by the Hokies. I'm not sure what to think of that. They should win three out of four of their next games. Three out of their next four games. Sorry, that was not English that I just spit out. Um... What, what, and this is what's going to happen. They, they should go 3-1 and one in their next four. If they happen to beat Florida State at home, they should go 4-0. and oh. What is going to happen, and it's almost a given, is they're going to beat Florida State at home, but they're going to lose at Pitt. Something stupid like that. And if that happens, I, st- I, I, have, I still have no idea what to expect from this team. And I'm right back to where I am, you know, 10 days before. So... <clears throat> Let's see what happens with Syracuse. You know, I don't think they're bad. I just don't know if they're consistent enough to be a serious contender in March. And I think that's obviously what they strive for. That's what this roster is built for. They certainly have the talent all over the court. Eli Hughes, Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett. These guys are players. All those guys can score. Jalen Carey off the bench as a spark plug? Shit. You know? I, I just don't know from night to night what are you going to get out of these guys. Uh, at home, on the road, perform great on the road, and then lay an egg at home. Uh, lose to Georgia Tech as maybe a, a look-ahead game to the Duke You know the Duke showdown. I can certainly understand that. Or maybe the G-Tech loss fired them up for the Duke game. Great. But you can't, you can't get up for Virginia Tech, a team that, you are, that you're jockeying with for position for the ACC tournament seeding. You know, Louisville, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, those guys are going to be fighting each other for seeding for that, probably that last double bye. Um, you, you gotta win that game at home. It, it, you know, it just is what it is. Uh, that's gonna be it for today. I actually went longer than I thought I was gonna be. Don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast. Leave me a review. Uh, you, somebody pulled one back. It seems somebody found out a way to delete a rating. I had thirteen. Now it's down to twelve. But uh, you know, you guys are leaving star ratings, but you guys aren't writing anything. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me, tell me where I'm coming up short. Tell me what you guys like. Um, I'm down for feedback. I. I'm down. I can handle it. Trust me. I, I've done tougher things in my life than a fucking podcast about ACC basketball. So let me know. Let me know what's going on. Let me know what you guys want to hear. Any guests you guys want me to go after. Anything like that. Leave me a review. I love it. I love y'all. I'll get this up here before the Duke game tips tonight. Enjoy the games this week. I'll talk to you again on Sunday or Monday next week. Later.